And I think in Scripture often there's moments where, where they don't exegete Scripture as such, they exegete a moment. So the Spirit of God falls in Acts chapter 2. Peter gets up and exegetes the moment. He, he explains what happened and what God's doing. And I think something of what God wants to do this morning is a continuation of what he started doing last week. But I feel like I want to just contextualize what God has got for us as a church and what God is saying to us with what God is doing with us through His Spirit ministering as He did with Gene. So if you can go to Joshua chapter 5, please, uh, verse 10. Oh, sorry, verse 13. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Joshua is a book about taking hold of your inheritance, claiming your inheritance. It's about God's redeeming purposes, His never-ending plans, His promises that don't end. A whole generation might pass, but God's promises never end, and God's plan continues throughout church history and throughout the history of the world and into the future, and He will not be thwarted. God's plan is God's plan, and there might, there might be deviations, there might be detours, but his plan is going forward, and Joshua teaches us because actually a faithless generation perished in the desert, but a faithful generation laid hold of their promise in him, and so that's what the book of Joshua is about, and we've been looking to see, well, what is it? How do we lay hold of our promises? How do we lay hold of what God's got us for? And uh, this, is a, this is a moment where they've crossed over the Jordan, they've been circumcised, they've, they've, had, they've had Passover, and they, they, the, the, the manna stopped, the supernatural provision of God stopped when you, when you come into your inheritance. And actually now you begin to live in a realm of plowing and sowing and reaping under the abundance of God. And it's way more abundant sowing and reaping than the miraculous provision. It's actually quite a phenomenal thing. You'd think it would be the other way around when you walk into the land of promise. But actually there's a, there's a disposition in partnering with God when you walk into the land that actually the paradigm of, of resourcing changes. And uh, so God starts to do these things and they cross the river, they cross there, they, the, the manna stops and they're about to go to Jericho. They've been looking at Jericho from the other side of the river, knowing that they have to take that city as the entrance point into this, into this land. If they don't take that city, they, will, they probably wouldn't take the land any further. And so now they're at the point, now Joshua's got to fight this fight. And uh, even, the, even around Joshua, remember this, is that although there was, two, there was two men of the faithless generation that came into the land, Joshua and Caleb, and so Joshua was there in his home. Joshua took the blood of the lamb. Joshua saw 10 plagues and, and the power of God demonstrated against the gods of Egypt. He was there. He was one of those guys that took the blood of the lamb and put it around his, his, his doorposts. And he heard wailing and screaming, but his son was safe. Joshua had experienced that. Joshua had come out of this place. He couldn't believe it. They, they, they wouldn't let them go. They eventually let them go, and they take plunder with them. They get resourced like you cannot believe as they leave. He's lived in that place. He's gone to Sinai, and he's received the, 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 the Word of God. He's received something of what it means to be a people that is differential, that is different to the rest of the world. And God starts to instruct them about what humanity is meant to be living like. And he puts rules in place, and he puts, he puts things in place so that they can prosper. He was there in that moment. He was with Moses. He was alongside Moses. He, he was inside the tent of meeting with Moses. 
When the glory cloud came upon the tent and Moses' face started to shine, Joshua was there. Joshua was there when they went in to spy out the land and everybody came back with a bad report and he said, no, God has said we must go. And he got shouted down. He was there. Joshua was there at that first Passover. He was there. He took that first Passover. For 38 or 40 years, there's no more Passover, no blood of the Lamb. And now he comes to the river. He, then, he also crossed over the Red Sea. He saw the sea part in front of them. He crosses over the Red Sea and he sees the enemies defeated. Joshua now comes and he, with this faithless generation, he's now, he's now the 40 years have passed. He's now an 80-year-old man. He can't fight with the sword like he used to. But he knows he's God better than ever before. And so he's standing now on this side of the river. He's got a face and he crosses with them. And he's encouraging them, guys, God's done this before. Man, I crossed the sea. This is just a flooding river. This is nothing. God, he's done it. He's got the t-shirt. He's been there. He's experienced everything. And now he's got to take Joshua. He's got to take Jericho. And just before he gets to Jericho, this is what we're going to read. As he gets to Jericho, verse 13, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Drew uh, spoke about this last week as well. When they were near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. You think, I mean, it's like you can laugh. I'm glad some of you laughed. You see, when he got up there, he didn't see that. He saw this. He saw a man standing with a drawn sword. Not a sword sheath, passive. A man with a sword drawn, ready for battle. In the battle. Joshua went up to him and asked him, Are, for you, are you for us or for our enemies? He wants to know, this guy looks quite fearsome. Whose side are you on? Verse 14, neither, he replied. Some translations say no, just like no. It's like, no, you're asking the wrong question. He replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. Commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. Then Joshua fell face down onto the ground in reverence. In the NIV, it says reverence. In other translations, in worship, it says in worship. I love that because actually, worship, you see, is an act of reverence to God. Worship is not just singing songs. So you live in reverence to God, not just when you're in church in the morning on a Sunday, but you live in reverence to God in every place that you live and wherever you are. When you're doing a business deal, it's reverence in God. When you're parenting, it's under the reverence hand of God, under the, under the power of God. When you, when you, when you, it doesn't matter what you're doing, there's a reverence. There's a, actually, God's first in my life, not me. He says he fell down and worshipped in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord give to his servant? Let me not get ahead of myself. The commander of the army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. First thing I want to say, friends, around this text is that we start to see that to get hold of your inheritance, 
You cannot be living in a cruise liner. You've got to be in an aircraft carrier. I've spoken about this before. Can I just remind us, friends? The walk with Jesus is not about you having fun, eating as much ice cream as you can, and as much pizza as you can, and never-ending entertainment all the time around you, where the, where the whole, the captain, the point of, the, of the, pers- the person that runs that cruise ship, the point of him is to get you back there again, and to keep you coming back so they can make money. No, 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 friends, the, what God calls us into is a military man standing there with his sword drawn, and he says he's the angel of the army of the Lord. And there were two other places when that same man stood there with his sword drawn. And that's why you know that it says commander, it's, but it's an angel. It's, this, it's the commanding angel. It's not just an angel. It's one of those archangels. It's one of those angels have different levels of authority. It's one of those guys that are commanding the hosts of heaven. Friend, do, you, do we understand in our Western mentality that there's the host of heaven and there's a host on earth? The host in heaven are angels and spiritual beings. Guess who the host in heaven on earth is? You and me and us. And this interaction and partnership between heaven and earth happens, and we start to see here, God is already there where, where, where Joshua is going. So do you see, God doesn't say to Joshua, go and fight the battle. No, he's already fighting the battle. That's why his draw, sword is drawn. He's, ba- he's fighting the battle. He's ready for God. He's, and, and he walks into him, and actually, all of a sudden, Joshua realizes, oh my gosh, I've seen all this. I've got all this. But man, I've got to be reminded that God is God, and he's with us, and he's gone before us, and he's present in everything that we face. And he's not just standing there passively. He's got his sword drawn, and he's fighting on our behalf. And so what we start to see is we see Joshua, I don't even know where my notes are now, but I'm going to forget about that. So he's in this place. Maybe I better not, because I'm going to mess you around. (laughs) Please, friends, this idea of cruise liner versus aircraft carrier is so true, friends. Most of the church, friends, let me say not so most of the church, there's parts of the church where the Sunday service is built around you to get you coming back. The church that Jesus is building, friends, is not built around you. It's built around Him. You see, we're not trying to keep you. We're trying to reach you. You see, an aircraft carrier, friends, you come onto that thing. That thing is a resource. It's a military base. It's a transportable military base that can go anywhere in the world and, and, and take land and take, take ground and defend places. It's, it's powered by a nuclear engine, like a nuclear engine, and they use that nuclear engine sometimes to power whole cities. That's the church. That's you and I. But we've got to understand this, that this God that we serve, this Jesus that we love so much, he is a, he is a God that's commanding a host of angels and, and, and an army with his sword drawn and saying, God, and he's saying, where, where are you? Whose side are you on? You see, he says, whose side are you on? He says, neither. You see, it's not about, he wants to know this. God says, I'm doing this. This is where I'm going. This is what I want to do. Are you with me or not? Are you with me or are you not? Suddenly Moses, I mean, Joshua realizes, oh my gosh, no. This is not, this is, this is, I'm actually asked the wrong question. He falls flat on his face in worship. Friends, if we want to walk into what God has for us, our public victories will always demand, demand private worship. 
You see, the fire of God falls, but it's got to take us into a personal relationship, a private relationship with Jesus that, that fuels that fire, that takes that fire, and gives that fire authority way beyond its, its due. Public victory will demand private worship. You see, and what we do, friends, is, is we, we, we forget we actually want the fire of God, but we don't want the personal relationship with God. We don't want the disciplined lifestyle of putting God first. You see, we think we're living on a cruise line. And it'll all just come. And what happens is even our view of God changes because we can have a view of God as God is our rich best friend. God is not our rich best friend. He is your friend, but he's a king and he's a father. He's a parent, not a parent. He's not a peer. God is not our peer. God is our king. And suddenly Joseph, I mean Joshua, who's seen all of this before, realizes he falls fat on his face and he worships and he says to him, what can you speak to me? You see, he stops asking questions and he, and he lets God speak to him. Whose side are you on? No, 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 it's not. Stop asking me questions. Just listen to me. And he says, what message do you send your servant? All of a sudden, he's not the leader of God's people. He's not this guy that's seen it and done it and got the T-shirt. He's not this 80-year-old man. You know, friends, if we've been living, walking with God for a long time, we need moments where we encounter the angel of the Lord, of, of the hosts of army of God. Because we forget this God is a powerful God that this God is a military God. This God is a God that takes ground. This is a God that actually wants us to partner with Him. And He falls and He says, speak to me, what is your message? Give me a message. And it's absolutely profound, friends. He doesn't say to Joshua, you'd think, hey, listen, Joshua, this is the message. There's a Jericho there. What I want you to do is I want you to go six times, seven times, the walls will come down. you think that would be the message. You know what His message is? He says, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. You see, before we have these public victories, friends, we've got to have private worship. And before, before, we, can, before we can get the strategy of God, we've got to come into the holiness of God. We've got to know that actually the ground on which we stand and which we serve this God is holy. And the reason why it's holy is because He's there. And we take our shoes off, we make ourselves vulnerable, we get before God, we fall flat, flat on our faces and we say, God, you are our God. You see, before we so much, we want strategy, God, what is it? But we actually don't learn to be with God. We want to do for God rather than just be with God. You know, friends, Mo, Joshua, what he does is he, 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 he comes into this moment where he realizes this is a people, this is a community, but actually it's also an army. And you know what's happening, friends, is so much of our walk with God is dependent on image. I love what Mark Sayers says about this. He says we live in this image culture. It's the brand that you wear, it's the church that you have. Didn't you like our two, two screens, by the way, just talking about image? We believe in multiplication and double inheritance, so... But, but, so much, but friends, can I just say this? Two screens doesn't matter a thing if the power and the presence of God are not touching people's lives. And we can keep people coming because of what we do up front. 
or we can actually keep people coming because God is here and God ministers and God touches lives. We're in the latter. That's what we want. And so what happens is he realizes, actually, this is a military God that we serve. You see, the power of God falling on us with genius last weekend, with just, a, with just God touching people, people speaking in tongues for the first time, God coming and overwhelming people, people falling over, people shaking. You see, friends, what that is, is you're now enlisted in the army. You're enlisted in the army. And when we meet this, and when we meet this military guard, there's a number of things that we can do, friends. You know, when this same angel, the same, the same being who, when you look at the text for those nerds, Bible nerds amongst us, is actually the, 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 the picture there is when it's in Gideon and all the moments that this angel appears, it's like it is God, but it's different to God. So it's like, and then the, the language changes. Sometimes he talks as though I am God, and sometimes it talks as though he's not God. You see, the Trinity was way before the New Testament. There was already an understanding that actually God was God, but he was, there was other parts and how it works you don't quite understand. So this angel of the Lord, it's like it was God. Some say it was Jesus for good reason. And so they, 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 they're in this, I've lost my train of thought now, so they're in this, they're in this military place, and, and what happens is he confronts them. And you know what, you, when we, you confront the, the army, the commander of the hosts of the army of God, you've got a number of options that you can do. Moses, when he was, because it's the same angel that was in the burning bush. You see, when Moses confronted the army, the, 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 that angel, he argued with him. No, it's not about me. I can't. Surely not God. You can, you, can, you can do that. And we can do that. And you know what? God doesn't impose his will on you. He'll send you Aaron and you'll get second best. But you could also be Jacob. You know, Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. He wrestled for a whole night and he displaced his hip. And he walked with a limp for the rest of his life, but he walked into what God had for him. You see, you can argue with God, or you can wrestle with God, or you can do what Joshua did and fall on your face and worship God. I want to suggest, let's be Joshua. And say, God, what are you saying to your servant? Not, not what are you saying to the CEO of the company? What are you saying to this fancy person or that? It's actually, what are you saying to your servant? I realize I'm just your servant. I know you're fighting for us. What do we need to do to line up with what you're doing so that we can see victory on earth as it is in heaven? That what, that's what on earth as it is in heaven means. It means that the hosts of the army of God are fighting, but we're on earth, and we're kind of bringing that down so that they meet. But Moses, I mean, Joshua starts to realize, oh, this is a military thing. You know, friends, when you're uh, in the military, any military in the world, you know you don't get to choose your haircut. You don't like have there's only one style. And I was Googling, I was Googling this morning, why, why is that? One of the reasons is they want uniformity. They want everybody to know there's no fancy people here, we're all the same. You see, you can afford to have a 500 rand haircut, you can afford to have a 5 rand haircut, doesn't matter, you're all getting the same. One of the reasons why their haircut is, is all the same is that they, 
you can imagine if you've got long hair and you're aiming with a rifle, it's like the thing keeps getting in your eyes all the time. You see, the reason why they cut their hair is because they've got to stay focused. But friends, what we're doing, if we live in cruise liner Christianity, we have fancy hairstyles, but we're doing nothing. They cut their hair because they've got to wear helmets. They've got equipment that they've got to carry. And if you've got long hair, you can't wear the gas mask or you can't wear the helmet. But the friends, if we don't realize that actually what God's called us to is into a battle with Him, with the host, partnering with the host of heaven, and actually we're advancing on all fronts, many fronts, and we're taking ground and we're moving into what God has for us, and actually it's a battle sometimes, and actually it's difficult sometimes, and sometimes we suffer, and sometimes we don't eat, and sometimes we have no water for a long time, and all these things, but actually that's the normal Christian life, because we are punching through, and we know that God's for us and God's with us, but we, we can, we're going to be a resilient resilient, battle-hardened army that can actually take ground and wherever you land, wherever you are, you're like one of those aircraft carriers, you know what to do and how to do it because you're built, you're equipped, you're a minister. You can minister wherever you are. And so you've got this, this haircut thing. There's lice. You know when, you, when your kids get lice, the first thing you do is give them an army haircut. Infection. Jojos. Nunus. That's why you have an army haircut. Friends, as a church, we've got to make a decision in God. God, you are God. You are the Lord of the host of the army of God. I'm on earth, and even if, even, even if I'm like Joshua, and I've seen it and done it all, actually, God, I'm just on my face and worship to you. And friends, we never, ever grow out of that. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how experienced you are, doesn't matter whether you've crossed the scene, a Red, a red Sea part and a flooding river part, it doesn't matter whether you've seen the miraculous, it doesn't matter what you've seen, you're on your face worshiping your king. And so what I want to do this morning, because there's one way that I can get you to remember this. Who's never, ever cut hair before? Ever, nobody. Hands up, quickly, quickly. Who's never cut hair? No. Nick has never cut hair. Who? Lauren. Where's Lauren? Come, Lauren. Can you bring me a chair, a chair please? Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a haircut. And you see the amazing thing. There it is there. How nervous are you? I'm not. I don't care. as you want. And the reason why I'm going to have a haircut is, number one, I want you to remember, this is the army we're in, friends. You know, you know friends, we're we, we, we growing up in a generation of George church, sexy church. Friends, we want power of God presence, church. We want, we want, and friends, when it stops going, and when it starts, when it gets hard, when it gets difficult, we don't crumple into a heap. God's not good. I thought he was my father. Look, get your sword out and stand before God and say, God, I've got armor on that you've given me. And actually, there's, a, there's an angel of the hosts of the heaven's army standing in front of me, and you are fighting on my behalf. And I will not give up until I see heaven come to earth. See what I'm trying to say, friends? 
So what we're going to do is the reason why I've asked for somebody that's never, ever done this before, because that's what we do as a church. We get to do stuff we've never done before. Not only hairdressers can cut army haircuts. Anybody can. Beth Spooner has been told by her kids, you're not cutting my hair. Because they don't think she did a good job until I took one of them to have a haircut. And he communicated badly to the guy. And he gave him a tennis ball haircut. He cried when he went to school the following morning, but he got over it. And all of a sudden, he loves his mom cutting his hair. It's a beautiful thing. That was just for you, Beth. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a haircut. And we're going to let God, and I'm going to trust that God would do something in you because some of you need to have haircuts. Some of you need to enlist. There's three groups of people. Mark Sayers, I say this again to him. Thank you. He read a book and he recites the book. He said there was three, there's normally three groups of people that are Christians. There are those that are outside the stadium. Christians that live outside the stadium. Those are called the duns. They're done with church. They don't need community because they've got Jesus. There's the duns. There's the outside. They, they, they're living. They look at the church and they think, oh, you guys are like second rate. We know we've got personal relationship with you. We don't need, we just need Jesus. Problem is, friends, their marriages are going south. Their kids are going south. They're not living in fullness. They're living in smallness because they don't understand that actually the fullness of God comes in a diversity of gifts, in a diversity of relationships. And as because we grow in circles, not in rows. Then there's the second group. They are the, they're the ones that are in the stadium. They're the spectators. You know the spectators? The Sharks lost yesterday. Shh. And when they lose to the Bulls, it's worst. But you know what, friends? When the Sharks are winning, or when, the team, when your sports team is winning, oh, they're so amazing. Go, go for it, guys. Yo, we're with you. And you buy a ticket for the next game. But when the team's losing, oh, you bunch of idiots, you flip in this, you fire the coach, that oak needs to go, and we don't buy tickets for the next game. You know, you know, you've got lots to say. You've got lots to say. Because you've never really played rugby, cricket, or soccer properly, professionally, or at maybe ever at all. And I keep telling my son that being good at Xbox, FIFA, doesn't mean you're a good soccer player. Yes, Dad, did you check that goal? I just smacked it. Yeah, bro, but that, that means nothing. Go and do that. <laughs> you got lots to say. You're like an armchair critic. When things are good, whoa, we're going there, Glenridge. We have an amazing place. When things are going badly, I flip Glenridge. Oh, what you <laughs> I said, tell you the crisis of the church is a crisis of spectatorship. We don't realize there's a God with, an eye, with a sword in his hand fighting on our behalf. You see, you've got lots to, they've got lots to say. The spectators have got lots to say, but there's no skin in the game. And then you've got those that are on the field. And there's only about 20 or so in the squad or whatever the team, whatever the, the, the sport it is. There's a few, 20 or 30. If you're American football, there's about 3,000. 
just on the field. But if you, if you rugby, it's kind of 20, or if it's soccer, it's like 15. And they've done all the hard work. They've practiced. They've paid a price. They've ate well. They've gymmed well. They've teamed well. They're doing this job, and they're on the field, and they're scoring goals or defending or doing their job. And you know what? Everybody look, gets to look at them. If they're doing well, oh, you're amazing. If they're not, a oh, bunch of idiots. But you know what, friends? The church, the church is meant to be on the field, taking the hits, passing the ball, putting people into space, putting through balls in that others can score goals. The church is meant to be on the field. But if we don't understand that actually this is, that's the church that Jesus is building. It's not outside the stadium. It's not even inside the stadium commentating. It's on the field playing, getting your hands dirty, doing the hard work, and making the tackles and making the runs. So with that, I'm going to have a haircut. Lauren, my ha I'm in your hands. Lauren is a lawyer. She's not a, she's not a haircut specialist. Are you good? She's just said, I don't know how to do this, but that's good. Because there's always a first time. You're going to have children one day, you're going to have to cut their hair. And unless you're married to Clint Jacoby, who hasn't got any hair, it's not a problem. You're going to, be, you're going to have to cut hair. Okay, go. I'm ready. Yeah, you're on. No, you are. Go for it. You can't mess it up. I don't care. I don't actually care. I'm in the army. <laughs> yes, you can. Yeah. Okay, go, Lauren. But can you notice Lauren's hesitance because she's never done this before? And I've got to live with it. You see, Drew is your typical example of a church guy. Lots of commentary. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. But he's not getting his hair cut, nor is he cutting hair. I'm not buying tickets to the next haircut. Yeah. It feels like you're doing a good job, but I don't know what it looks like. It's not great. Don't worry. We can always fix it up later. These, every time we, even that, friends, even when we're ministering, we don't know what we're doing, and we get it wrong. It's okay, because we can fix it up later. Part of, it's part of the, that's part of kind of what I'm trying to get across here. It's like, it's only here, it grows again. And I might look like a dork for a little while. Am I allowed to say dork? No. Experience, no. Sorry. I've been told by Paul that I've certain words I'm not allowed to say when I'm preaching. Nerd is fine. Nerd is fine? Okay. Ryan Herter, God has got so much more for you. You really got a haircut. But I saw, you, I saw you taking photos at that funeral the other day. And I thought, you know what? You are multi-gifted, multi-talented. You can do anything in the world. But I feel like God wants to put a sword in your hand. He wants to put a sword in your hand and enlist you. Because you've actually got a contribution to make. Not just to your business and to your family, but actually to a wider generation that needs your voice and your creativity. Are we, Lauren? Are we done? No, we're near it. Shepherds.
thought this would be a lot quicker. The good things in life always take a little bit of time, eh? I thought I was just going to use this opportunity while Stan is subjected to Lauren's expertise. I've come to stand here purposely with my shoes off. And just as Stan was talking, and he was saying that we have a parent, not a parent, it made um, a word of John Piper's pop into my mind, where John Piper says we need to learn that we serve a God who is God Almighty, not God Almighty. And, and so when Stan was saying, here I am, Lord, your servant, speak to me, I want to hear you, um, it made me think of that conversation that God had with Abraham. And it says here, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am the Lord God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And then just tipping forward to Psalm 111, verse 10. Um, um, and so this is the word. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him or her belongs eternal Oh, no, here specifically, it is God that is being referred to. So to God belongs all praise. And I think that is the essence also of what Stan was putting across. It is that private place of praise that often brings the public victories. There you go. How's it looking? Okay. Well done, Lauren. Thank you. Jesus. A little bit of hair. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in there as well. Eh? <laughs> you know, friends, God's in charge. And Joshua had a moment at the age of 80 to have a haircut moment with God where he realized, actually, I can't do this without him. I need him. And my perfect response to a God that I need is to worship him. Because he knows that the victories that are coming after that, guess what is going to be the key to those victories? Worship. Gets him to worship six times, seven times around Jericho. The walls fall down. And I feel like there's people this morning that have been sitting around the edges. Maybe you've even been those that have been outside the stadium. But you've been sitting around the spectatorship. You're sitting in a box. How nice is it once you've gone to a box to watch rugby or a sport, it's like it's so lame to go any other way, you know? Because you get spoiled. It's food, it's eats, and the enjoyment. And then you get to critique with a Coke or a curry and a whatever in your hand. Do you know what, friends? It's not, it's not complicated, this thing called Christianity. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus where you give everything that you have to him. And he takes what you give and he multiplies it and resurrects it and breathes his eternal life into it, puts destiny and puts you back into your destiny, back into your purpose, and enlists you into the army. And he says, now go, my boy, or go, my girl. There's so much more for you. And there's people here this morning. You see, we can have moments like Gene last weekend and we all fall down. It means absolutely nothing unless we're enlisted. 
It means absolutely nothing. You fall down under the power of God unless you actually something shifts in you. There's a boldness and a, and, a, and a courage that takes you into more of what God has for you. And God wants to minister to people this morning. 